Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Hello and welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm Kathleen Thompson, Progress Texas Chair of the Board. And I'm Sam Gonzalez, Progress Texas Digital Director. Hey Sam, we're talking about the historical ramifications of the Branch Davidian event in 1993, which is now being used as context for former President Donald Trump and his scheduled appearance in Waco this weekend. For our listeners who didn't live through the event, we'll review what happened, its political ramifications in the 30 years since, and how it informs and exacerbates the extreme right fringe in America, the element that Trump is courting. That's right. The twice indicted loser of the 2020 election and just general buffoon is holding his first 2024 (laughs) campaign rally in Waco uh, this Saturday, March 25th. And this is happening amid another possible indictment and this time for hush money paid to a porn star. Experts on political violence are noting the significance of choosing Waco. And here to discuss is Lindsay Schubiner, Director of Programs for the Western States Center, which works nationwide to strengthen inclusive democracy. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Lindsay, it sounds like you've been busy these last few years. Um, but in this case here, uh, what we're talking about today, you know, it all started in Texas 30 years ago. Like plenty of folks who call Texas home now, I didn't grow up here. For people, you know, too young to remember, I was three when this happened, to just transplants who who were around and may have heard a thing or two. Remind us what happened at the Mount Carmel Center. Yeah, absolutely. Um 1993, the the Waco standoff in 1993 was a, a really key event in the rapid growth of the paramilitary movement in the in the 1990s, and we are still seeing the effects of that today. So the the standoff began because the government ATF believed that the Branch Davidians were making and stockpiling illegal machine guns, grenades, and other armaments, and. Mm-hmm. This was a, a group, a, a sect of religious extremists that broke off from Seventh-day Adventists in the 1930s. And then after a further split, um, someone named Vernon Howell, who later changed his name to David Koresh, joined the Branch Davidian compound in Waco and began gaining power, ultimately leading the group by the time the standoff happened. So uh, it, the standoff started with a, with a raid by the ATF that resulted in... Um, four ATF agents losing their lives, 17 injured, while six uh, members of the Branch Davidian compound were killed and launched a 51-day standoff uh, only weeks into the Clinton presidency. And uh, ultimately, this, this, the standoff led to a horrific tragedy where um, uh, tear gas was, was used and started a fire, and uh, dozens of people uh, in the compound were tragically killed. The nation watched this unfold, like you said, for weeks, and anti-government extremists didn't waste any time. They used what happened in Waco right away to organize and grow their ranks um, via right-wing talk radio, VHS video dissemination, and we know that Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, who met in the army, were radicalized by white supremacy and anti-government propaganda. Um, McVeigh visited Waco during the standoff, and the two later carried out the Oklahoma City bombing, which murdered 168 people and injured several hundred more 
on the second anniversary of the Branch Davidian fire. I understand McVeigh even wore a t-shirt reading FBI, but the I was um, Bureau of Incineration. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely is, unfortunately. Um, we the, the anti-government ideology that paramilitary groups today still embrace was, was deeply influenced by perceptions of government overreach and concerns about gun control that crystallized around the standoff and other events of the same period. Um, this, the, the, the standoff in Waco happened uh, less than a year after the Ruby Ridge standoff. And then uh, later in 1993, President Clinton signed the, the Brady Bill, um, which mandated background checks and, and a waiting period for firearm purchases. So all of this combined to create uh, a huge amount of energy uh, and, and concern that paramilitary movements uh, really took advantage of to organize and grow their, their influence. So at the time, there was this theory that the date of April 19th would become a rallying date for the fringe right. Has that played out as much as the location and call to remember Waco? So I, I think the location uh, and, and the broader historical significance has, has really been, uh, been the primary thing that I would point to, right? It's, it's this standoff um, at the Branch Davidian compound is, is still, as we can see from Trump's decision to um, host his campaign rally there, it, it still really resonates with, um, with paramilitary movements and, and people in, in other bigoted and anti-democracy movements today. Um, that said, I think April 19th uh, is, is, is still important, right? Um, the, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, Timothy McVeigh, we can, we can, I think, assume that he picked that date, tragically, as a, uh, as a callback to the Waco standoff. Um, and so, so I think that the date is still important, and it's also um, just the day before um, Hitler's birthday, coincidentally. So it's, it's a uh, you know, I think that that's from white nationalists that oftentimes gets a little bit more attention. Of all the places in America for former President Trump to hold his first 2024 campaign rally or of any city in Texas, he chose Waco. So what message is he sending to anti-government extremists like the one who stormed our nation's capital at the deadly January 6th insurrection? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 pretty clear to me that he's he's sending a message um, signaling alignment with paramilitaries and other bigoted and anti-democracy movements. Um, we've we've seen this, you know, throughout his first campaign and his presidency, over and over again, uh, from dog whistles to fairly explicit uh, 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 comments aligning himself with these, uh, you know, bigoted and anti-democracy movements. And so it's, um, it's not surprising uh, that, that this is happening yet again, uh, especially as we're, we're in the, it's, it's the 30th anniversary um, of, the, of the standoff. We're, we're in the middle of it right now. Now, and you said it was a dog whistle. This seems more like a train whistle, you know, when it comes to this type of thing. It's I mean, like, clear. <laughs> and, and it's starting to get more egregious. We laugh, right? We laugh about it. It's kind of heinous that a political party, a top um, candidate for a political party, the Republicans, would do something so overt. And, and, and people knowing the context and having a, a real world understanding of, oh, yeah, this is what he stands for. 
you know, why is it so important now to not only just laugh at it and and make people aware of it, but to call out anti-democratic speech uh, in this way and and not make it so where people just laugh it off of, oh, he's crazy, but really get to the point that, no, he is signaling to riot on his behalf, potentially. Right. You know, honestly, it's in in the in the ongoing wake of the insurrection, it it has to be clear that that this is deadly serious, right? Um, and and white nationalists are taking notice. Laura Loomer posted about his campaign uh, uh, rally in Waco and said it was very symbolic, right? Um, it's so critical to take seriously the threat that white nationalists and other bigoted and anti-democracy movements pose to our democracy, pose to our our schools and, and libraries and other democratic institutions. Um, they're, they're building political power by spreading bigotry. And, um, you know, I think we, we don't want to see what happens if they continue to build power and, and move towards their vision, um, which for white nationalists is, is an all-white ethno-state within the United States. Um, but, but I think it's important not to, to recognize the seriousness, but also not let ourselves and our communities be intimidated or you know cowed by this, because I think it, recognizing the seriousness is also a, a call to action. Um, it's really, uh, there, there are a lot of opportunities to speak out, um, whether it's just in relationships that we have with our community members, with, uh, through the PTA, to school, to school librarians, to elected officials locally, um, and, and clarify for each of us what our values are, that we, that we support inclusive democracy, that we recognize those dog whistles or train whistles or overt statements of white nationalism and reject them. I think it's, it's important to not, not to discount uh, how much good that can do, because these are, these are fundamentally you know, political and social and cultural movements, um, including white nationalism, and they're working to build political power. And that means they're evaluating uh, they're evaluating their opportunities. They're looking for the the places and the opportunities to uh, to engage to build power, and uh, they they are paying attention to what elected leaders and community leaders are saying and um, and making decisions based on that. So while we while we need absolutely uh, legal action, federal action, state and local action, right? We need, we need action at every level of government to support and reinforce democratic institutions, um, to create the resources that, um, that support community members, uh, in, in engaging in public in running for office in speaking out in voting safely, despite the intimidation and, and threats of violence that come from white nationalist movements. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot that, that each of us can do individually as well. Here at the halfway point, a quick note of thanks for listening to the Progress Texas Happy Hour podcast. We're proud to say you've helped us build our podcast into one of the top 10% of the most widely heard podcasts in the world. Kind of mind-blowing, but true, and one of the top progressive political podcasts here in Texas. 
We couldn't have done all of this without you listening and sharing episodes. So thank you for that. We believe that information is power and that the more people know, the more they are empowered to take action. Low voter turnout is an issue in Texas, so we're doing something about it. We're working to increase voter participation with a particular emphasis on millennial and Gen X audiences. The two biggest hurdles to voting are factual information on the issues and information on where and how to vote. Our solution is to provide weekly updates to people on what's going on in Congress and in the Texas legislature through social media, video, email, and this podcast, while also working with the traditional news networks. Our podcast features insider analysis with a lighthearted take on major issues, events, and players in Texas politics. We've interviewed elected officials, foreign policy experts, activists, and candidates in a panel format that brings gender and ethnic diversity and always seeks to give listeners a reason to keep coming back for more. After we wrap today, please help us keep our podcast ad-free and accessible to all listeners with a donation at ProgressTexas.org. Find the link in the show notes. And yeah, I want to go a little off script and talk about that kind of violence that they tend to threaten when it comes to getting their way. Now, they have all their grievances. They have all the things that they want. Their white nationalist dream country that will never exist. Uh, how does a underrepresented or someone who is the antithesis of that white supremacist ideal um, not fear sometimes, especially here in Texas where – Governor Abbott says, oh, yeah, we don't need diversity in schools. Oh, also, you, we don't want any of you to vote. Not, no young people at all. And also, um, January 6th, you know, you see the rhetoric from the Republican Party. That was fine. They were just tourists. When it's getting so normalized and, and you as an individual, I'm a Mexican-American male, um, you know, gen- generally uh, pretty prosperous and not and represented fairly. But let's say, you know, the LGBTQ community, let's say someone who's trans in the state who really can't say anything. How do they not fear when this group of people so aggressively and violently wants them gone or out of their plan? Yeah. And the, real- the reality is that it's very scary, right? I'm, I'm queer and Jewish and this, uh, uh, you know, I feel that as well personally. Um and I and I also think that um, it's it's the responsibility of of those of us who um, who are who are working to uh, move us closer to a truly inclusive democracy, and it's the responsibility of uh, elected leaders and community leaders to to speak out and um, help make our communities safer for all of us. Um, and, you know, nobody should, uh, it, that's not to say that, that you have to be out there alone doing that, right? Because that can be a vulnerable position. Um, but it's important to, you know, build the kind of cross-sector coalitions with other people and other communities who, and other leaders who are invested in defending democracy to do that, to do that together. Lindsay, a lot of people will may think um, I would never go to a Trump rally. Um, fascism isn't knocking on my door. Um, anti-government extremism isn't something that I think about. But um, here in North Texas, where I live, my son uh, started his senior year at a school after a school board takeover that um, there was no librarian at his public high school because she quit because she didn't want to deal with the culture of the new school board. Um, They uh, ended the Scholastic Book Fair because um, it's so scary (laughs) to read books. Captain Underpants? They got rid of, they canceled Captain Underpants at the book fair. Unbelievable. 
if you'll tell us what are you're the you're the director of programs will you tell us um what programs you're working with to make sure people are empowered at the local level like you're talking about whether it's um local officials who care about our democracy who care about um public education and the public good or if it's um people who are working on bigger projects about democracy and fair elections and free elections. Could you tell us a little bit about your programming? Absolutely. We are working closely with with schools in a number of communities to support them in, in, in doing just that. And we have resources on our website, westernstatecenter.org. Um, we have a toolkit confronting white nationalism in schools. Um, focused on helping uh, helping anyone, any member of a school community, whether they're an administrator or a teacher, a staff member, a student or a parent um, who cares about who cares about their school and the ability of public schools or, or any schools to educate all of their students in a in a safe and inclusive way um, with accurate education about uh, about American history and and what's happening today where the you know the toolkit has different scenarios for ways that white nationalism um, or other bigoted and anti-democracy ideology uh, can can come up right whether it's a student um, flyering outside the school or uh, speaking out in a classroom and saying things that that um, echo uh, bigoted and anti-democracy talking points. Um, so there are, there are concrete tips for anyone who's involved in a school community and cares about this issue to take action to help protect their community um, and their schools. We published the first version of that schools, uh, Confronting White Nationalism in Schools Toolkit in 2018. And we're already seeing uh, you know, a significant um, push from uh, bigoted and anti-democracy groups to influence schools. And that has that has only escalated, as you pointed out, um, where where there are increasingly um, really dangerous laws and policies um, like like book bans that are core signals of, of rising authoritarianism. So there are there, there there's a lot of concerns with that. We also have a toolkit to support parents and caregivers in talking about these issues and conspiracy theories that young people might um, might encounter and a set of recommendations for local government uh, elected officials and, and local government staff to try to, to see the impacts of white nationalism uh, and these movements that are working really clearly and sometimes um, in and sometimes also in less clear ways to, to directly undermine democratic institutions and things that they can do to recognize that and um, strengthen both their own institutions of uh, uh, to promote democracy while also working towards um, greater safety for the communities that they serve. I'll be looking at those toolkits myself personally for my family and we'll definitely uh, link that in our show notes, Lindsay. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd want listeners in Texas to hear? Thank you so much. I think, uh, you know, it's so important to be talking about uh, the history that's still influencing the the bigoted social movements that we're seeing today and the importance of, of a legal and a political and a community response to white nationalism, especially uh, as we're seeing Trump working to add energy to to anti-democracy movements and um, and their uh, and their dangerous ideologies. 
and for people who are on the lookout and, and want to make sure that they're combating it at every moment, at every, at every time it arises, how can they follow your work online? We, we're on Twitter at um, Western State Center. It's at W State Center. Um, we're, we're on uh, and, and on some other platforms as well. But I'd, I'd, follow us on, I'd follow us on Twitter and look at our resources that have, we have at our website, westernstatecenter.org. Lindsay, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we appreciate you and I'll be looking at that toolkit and I'll be following you online today. As we record, we don't know whether the terms of Trump's arrest, should that happen, allow him to leave New York to return to his Florida home or even do this rally in Texas. One can hope that it never this whole podcast is irrelevant. I hate to say that most of the time. I hope I like all our podcasts to be relevant, but hopefully this is a near miss because obviously with the history of everything uh, that went on in Waco and all that it stands for in the context of white supremacy and this stuff, uh, it would be best if it just didn't happen, honestly. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks again to Lindsay Schubiner, Director of Programs for the Western State Center. Thanks to Digital Director Sam Gonzalez. And listeners, thank you. Head on over to ProgressTexas.org and subscribe to our email list. Keep us accessible and ad-free with a donation of any amount. And don't forget to follow us on socials. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show, and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.